Hi, everyone. I hope you're well. Thank you so much for joining back into our podcast. We've kind of had a little bit of a delay here because it's been a busy several weeks with a couple of meetings, the AMWC meeting in Miami and then ASLMS meeting back in Phoenix, which was two weekends ago. So there's been a lot going on in the world of aesthetics. But Kane, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Good, good. Today, we're to talk about microneedling. So this is not RF microneedling, but just straight microneedling and what we can do for that with the skin. And and what I'd like to do, Kane, is I'd like to first talk about the device, the wound healing response that you get from it. And then also, I want to talk about how to prepare for it, what to expect, how many treatments, and how to heal, how, what the healing process is going to be like. Perfect. So I'll just provide some good basic information for everybody. Perfect. All right. So, and, and before we start, there we do have a podcast episode on radio frequency microneedling, which is different than just microneedling, which is what we'll be discussing today. So if you are interested in the RF side of it, go listen to the other episode. And that's on episode two. And we'll kind of talk about, we'll briefly cover, you bring up a good point, the difference between microneedling and RF microneedling. But first, let's talk, let's talk about microneedling. So microneedling creates these tiny little microchannels into the skin, little microconduits, and they it does this with exactly as the name states with little tiny needles that are inserted into the skin. This is often called PCI, which is percutaneous collagen induction, meaning that it's creating collagen in the skin. So if you ever see PCI, you're thinking about microneedling. Okay, I'll just think microneedling. Okay. And I'll I'm never even, remember PCI. And I kind of want to differentiate even between the manual devices. And you might have seen these different manual devices. In fact, it came out in the early 1990s was when the first manual devices came out. And these were rollers. They're called dermal rollers. And they're on a little tiny wheel and they roll across your skin. And then finally, there are automated devices, which have the mechanical device, which we're going to talk about, and the energy-based one, which is the radiofrequency microneedling. But Kane, I want to go back to these manual devices. The reason why they've kind of been left in the dust and why these new stamped automated pens are utilized more is when you think about a dermal roller, they're going at your skin, they're inserting into the skin in a tangential fashion. So what happens is there's extra tearing of the skin that can occur rather than something going perpendicular into the skin. And oftentimes, patients would get a lot, of, a lot of PIH with this, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So that's where the automated devices are kind of a new iteration of just them. The, just, I got to tell you, just the thought of a manual roller rolling across my face just sounds painful. It well, reminds me of like some tool. I can remember my mom having some sort of tool for sewing that was like that. That could roll over the face. Well, this <laughs> well, roll over, over the, the face. face. It was just a sewing tool that was a roller with needles in it, pricks in it. And they're further differentiated between cosmetic devices and medical devices. The cosmetic devices only go to 0.3 millimeters, whereas the medical devices go go deeper than that. And the reality is you don't need to go so deep. I mean, our device goes to 1.5 millimeters. I'd say the majority of the work is in the 0.5 to the 1 millimeter range of when we're utilizing this device. But that's kind of the difference of it. And so when you have these mechanical automated devices, the main endpoint, when you realize when you're doing the treatment, what your endpoint is, is pinpoint bleeding. You want to get to pinpoint bleeding because what that does is that starts a whole wound healing cascade that's important for improving acne scars and also for wrinkles of the skin. 
So you do want to see that pinpoint bleeding. You want to see that pinpoint can bleeding. I, can I back you up even like even more basic? Sure. Like, so we're going to talk about the expectations of with microneedling, but why would anybody want microneedling? So microneedling is wonderful for the texture of the skin. It's FDA clear. This is actually the one that we have is something called Exceed, which is a candela device that is actually dual cleared for both acne scarring and for wrinkles of the skin. So when you're talking about just improving the texture of the skin, whether it is a surgical scar or again, acne scars, which are more pitted, these type of devices, you want to have these insertions into the skin. And remember, this is a six pin device, but they run at 100 to 150 hertz, which means you're laying down about 600 to 900 pulses per second into the skin. That's, wow. a, that's a lot of coverage yeah. to create this wound healing response. And okay, that's one differentiator between this and RF microneedling. Whereas with RF microneedling, you're single stamping anywhere from 25 to 49 needles. And certainly you might do two passes, but this is getting a lot more insertions into the skin than even RF microneedling. Hmm. Now there's benefits of RF microneedling that microneedling doesn't do such as tissue contraction, works on laxity, all of that. But there are some differentiators of why you would choose this over radiofrequency microneedling. And primarily that's for the, the, the scarring type of issues, acne scarring, other types of scarring, and then, and then wrinkles. And wrinkles. You know, I choose wrinkles a lot with, with my RF microneedling as well, but usually it's in when patients also have a little bit of laxity that I want to use an energy-based device to, to help with that. Okay. But this one, again, gets a lot more insertions into the skin, which can really help with texture. Okay. So the reason why it's important, and again, I'm not going to belabor this, but I think having a little bit, a little modicum of understanding of ha what's happening with the tissue healing response is important. And I'll just basically go over it. So initially, when you get this wound, this kind of pinpoint bleeding that occurs on the skin, you go through hemostasis, which means that there's chemical mediators that are released, which basically constricts the blood vessels to stop the bleeding. So you have about five to 10 minutes of bleeding. And then you go into this inflammatory phase where you get, you've heard about neutrophils, cane, you've heard about macrophages. The macrophages actually release different factors that upregulate cells like fibroblasts to, to create collagen. So that's kind of the inflammatory phase. And from, from a patient perspective, they're going to be a little bit swollen, perhaps a little red, a little swollen, maybe a little itchy for about four to six days. And that's, that encompasses the inflammatory phase. And then you go through a proliferative phase, which kind of overlaps with inflammatory where you're beginning to produce collagen and elastin in the skin. And finally, there's a remodeling phase, so where you get that nice benefit, and that can last up to a year's time period. A lot of the studies show improvements at about 150 days post-procedure. That's kind of where the, the sweet spot is with this. What do you mean 150 days? That's when you start to see the results, or that's how long they last? What do you mean by that? You, no, no. You'll start to see the results at about six weeks time period. But, you know, kind of at that five to six month period, you really see a lot of improvement with the skin and the optimal number of treatments is four treatments every four weeks. They're delivered at a monthly rate. So that's okay. kind of the optimum treatment. So let me hit the pause button because you just said a lot and <laughs> a lot of it just kind of went over my head. So I'm going to repeat what I think I kind of heard you say. So you do want to get to that end point of, of pinpoint bleeding. That's, Correct. that's kind of a sign that yes, it's, you're doing what you need to do. 
And then what that does is it starts to create a healing process, an inflammatory, or first it's an inflammatory process. Well, just think it, about it as wound healing to create wound collagen. Healing, yes, that healing process. And that's essentially your body kind of producing that elastin and collagen Correct. to heal the wound. To heal the wound. And which, that's, what you want it, that's what you want to accomplish. Which improves the appearance of the skin, the, the fine lines and wrinkles, and also it improves acne scarring. And there's some really impressive photographs with it as well. So baselines so and, you, and post. So you're really thinking this treatment from a, I want to improve the texture of my skin perspective. Right. And that is most likely going to require a series. Maybe That's up exactly to about right. four series every, what'd you say? Four? Four six. treatments and you deliver them once a month. Once a month. Okay. You got it. How long would I expect to see those results last? For about a year. But remember, we are every day we wake up, we are losing collagen. And so I tell patients, you know, every six months or so, you might want to come in for a treatment or you might want to supplement with another treatment, maybe a, a, a laser treatment, a non-ablative treatment. So there's different things that you can mix and match. And some folks might even be, do a good job with starting off with one of these, then doing a laser, then switching back to one of these. So there's different ways that we can go about this. It's Think, not like you just all of a sudden fall off a cliff and, and it wore off. It's just a gradual correct process that you can always enhance along the way. Right. And you want to maintain it too. You know, as you go along, you want to kind of keep those results consistent. So I think it's important to also go over how to prepare for something like this. So it's important to, because there is going to be pinpoint bleeding, you really want to minimize your aspirin, your ibuprofen, your fish oils about two weeks before treatment. That's probably the best for this. Now, if you have had and ibuprofen within 10 days, that's okay. But I think that's the best thing to do is minimize your blood thinning medications about two weeks before. Okay. And then you also, patients can take some Arnica if they like. Some patients really swear by Arnica, but that's certainly something you can do. You want to minimize also your topical retinols or retinoic acids about three to five days before the treatment. You don't want to be red. You don't want to be shedding right before the treatment. And so then the other thing that we do is we call in a numbing cream and patients can apply this an hour before the treatment. And that way you're very comfortable during the treatment. I do think topical numbing is, I wouldn't say it's optional. I do think that's a mandatory thing. It, well, it is. I was going to ask, how imperative is it that you have that topical numbing? I think that it, it is important. It, it would. It is a little uncomfortable without the topical numbing. So because these are tiny needles that are going in in multiple, multiple insertions, and the way it's delivered, it's kind of in a circular motion that it's delivered because, again, you want to get to that pinpoint bleeding. So topical numbing is important to, to have. And then right after the treatment, what's done, and certainly you want to sun protect all that even before and after the treatment. But right after the treatment, the, the blood is cleansed away with some gauze pads. Some topicals can be placed on the skin. We really like exosomes on the skin. I think that really helps to heal the tissue better. And it also stimulates more elastin and collagen. And we talked about exosomes. There's a, a podcast on that as well. There's an episode on it that you could refer back to. But remember, they've got growth factors in it. They've got lipids, they've got microRNA. And what they do is they talk to the different cells in the body, the senescent cells, the fibroblasts that are kind of those zombie-like fibroblasts that aren't doing that aren't performing, and they wake them up and, and allow them to produce more collagen and elastin. So I do think that that is a nice topical to place on right afterwards. Yeah, there's a lot of 
like exciting science coming out more and more with exosomes. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see where that's headed. And, and I'm a little naive to this. So now exosomes in the past, when, when I would hear things like the vampire facial, is this something that was done with microneedling and then, and then utilizing PRP? Correct. Correct. That was done with PRP and PRP is kind of the first iteration of utilizing stem cells. But remember the limitations of PRP is that you're utilizing and trying to extract these growth factors from maybe 50-year-old cells. If someone's 50 years old, they're sitting on your table and you're taking their blood, you have to make sure that you're spinning it the right way and how they ate the day before or did they drink wine can all impact your stem cells and the growth factors. So now the second iteration, kind of the 2.0 method is utilizing exosomes, which has a reproducible amount of growth factors and lipids, microRNA, I mean, I won't go through all the different things, but all the important elements to to stimulate the collagen and elastin. Yeah, I, I remember the vampire facial was like all the rage a few years ago, but you haven't really heard much about it. I mean, exosomes is really kind of just taking that mantle and run with it now. So. It is. And you don't have to extract the blood. There's many, there's many positives. And again, I think it's that having that consistency of the product, which is very, very important as well. So really, it's it's now now you can do it. It'd be called an exosome facial. It'd be called an exosome facial, okay. correct? And I put a little video of myself up where I had one done, and you're I was just a little bit red. But again, the more aggressive we are with it, the and and if patient skin's a little sensitive, I I would say about four to six days potentially of redness. Mine was only two days. I asked for a little bit more of a minimalistic one. I think we went to 0.5 and 0.7 millimeters on my skin, but you can go up to one, you know, one to 1.5 millimeters for a more extensive type. And certain skin types are better, more appropriate for that as well. Now, is there a particular area of the body or the face that this is typically done? Is it, you know, more done around the eyes or is it the whole face or around the mouth? It's the whole face. It's the whole face. And now we don't do it over the lid. So but that's the one place that's excluded, but you can go under under the eye area and certainly in the lateral canthal area around the eyes. That's that's where we see a lot of wrinkles. And so that's a key area that can be done as well. And how long would I expect uh, the, the, procedure, procedure. the procedure to actually take? About 20 to 30 minutes. It does not take long to do. And it's just a matter of kind of titrating the the dosage of the what you're delivering, the depth and also the how how quickly you're you're applying these little needles in order to get to goal. But about 20 to 30 minutes max is necessary for a treatment like this. And then post-treatment, just cleansing it over, placing some some topicals on as well. And then patients, I we tell them don't wear makeup until the next day. Allow those little micro channels to heal over. And they'll heal over very quickly, but no makeup until the next day. They can wash their face normally at nighttime. They can put their own serums on at nighttime as well. And then certainly in the next morning, they can put vitamin C serum. They might sting a little bit with vitamin C serum. It's more acidic, but that is a wonderful thing to have on the skin in the morning time too, since it's an antioxidant. All right, cool. So this is a pretty simple procedure and and one that can be really well tolerated with some good results. And it's just another another bullet in the chamber to, to help with the aging process. It is. And I'm just going to give one final thing about why we chose, why we selected the Exceed device. And primarily, it's a stainless steel device. It's, it is a German-made device. It's actually very robust, but it's FDA-cleared, and you always want to have an FDA-cleared device. You also want to have a barrier sleeve that's on it, because remember, you want to be able to protect to not have blood products going into the needle. So while there's other microneedling devices out there, 
you always want to choose an FDA cleared one such as this, such as skin pen is another good one. Eclipse is another good one. So those are just some names of, of some good devices. And then also the thing that I liked about this that sold me on it is that it's got a tilted, it's got a tilting surface, which means that as you go around the bone structures, it tilts, the whole plate tilts so that you can still go in in a perpendicular fashion to make sure that you that you have clean insertions into the skin. So that I thought was really important, especially if you're dealing with skin such as mine that could potentially hyperpigment. With this, with the clean insertions, you won't. And so that's important to have as well. So real quickly before we go, so you did mention FDA cleared. Are there devices that are not FDA cleared? Oh yeah, Kane. Wow. Yep. And there's a lot of issues that can occur with blood getting back into the pen and cross-contamination per patient. So you never, 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 never want to have a device like that. It might be cheaper. It might be less if that they're offering. But remember, always ask if it's FDA clear. Very, very good point. Yeah, it's maybe cheaper, but is it safer? Correct. Correct. So we wanted to choose devices that work, yes, but that are safe. And so that those are two important things in our practice. If it's not safe, we're not going to use it. If it doesn't give results, we're not going to use it either. So perfect. That's it. That's all I got. And otherwise, have a wonderful evening. Yes. And thank you again for listening. And please rate and review us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.